Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers, for anyone who's interested in how stories are made and how books are made. The main three planks of our show, well, our show, I mean it's my show, but it's your show as well. It is your show as well. Without you listening, there isn't a show. There's just me, a hair suit mentally ill man sitting in his office talking to himself sometimes swearing sometimes making scatological jokes the show is you as well but the main three planks of our show are to help you write better to help you write more and to help you be happier as you do so now a couple of weeks ago i was doing a writing ramble episode there's one one of the unscripted ones and I mentioned a book I was reading by um, Professor Richard Wiseman uh, called The Luck Factor, which I, it came out 10, 10 or so years ago, uh, but I, I mentioned it in passing. And I, as I continued to do the episode, and then when I put stuck it up, I, I just was like, well, you know, maybe I should get and drop him a line, because that, that's the way my brain works now having having got this podcast it's it's largely a subtext for me to um pester uh strangers who i've got no real right to take up their time um and 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 then strip mine them for their wisdom so i just and also i think also because i was reading his book and it was say how lucky people sort of try stuff even if they don't know it's going to work out. They try lots of different things. They speak to people. They enter competitions. You know, they they don't. They're not superstitious, but they just think that good things will happen if they stay open to opportunities. So I was like, yeah, all right. So I dropped him a line, and to my um, not entirely to my surprise, but to my delight, certainly, he uh, said, yeah, I'd love to come on your show and talk about writing. He is, after all the author of over a dozen books. He uh, is a best-selling author um, of non-fiction about sort of like, I guess, pop science and pop psychology would be the best way of describing his stuff. If you've not encountered it before, he's done the books. The books The Luck Factor, 59 Seconds, Quirkology, and Night School, which is all about the science of sleep. And uh, most recently... Um, his latest book is about the it's called the Apollo mindset and it's about the Apollo missions and the astronauts and the mindset that got us to the moon he's really really down to earth that's not a deliberate pun sorry Um, but he is really uh, down to earth and nice you know despite writing some books that are about you know achievement and uh, you know making the most of your mind he's not one of these kind of like air punching gurus he's a he started out with an interest in magic and uh, the skeptic movement and you might have seen him if you live in the uk you might have seen him on tv he's often was called in to be sort of like resident skeptic on our shows dealing with the paranormal anyway we talk about that a bit in this show but i was interested for a number of reasons in talking to him one because he's got loads of experience writing books uh, two, because he's got loads of interest, uh, in, 
relevant experience in psychology and the psychology of achievement and and, and because specifically his latest book is about uh you know achieving a big mission a big scary mission with lots of risk and not necessarily uh a chance not necessarily you know it's not necessarily going to succeed so i was really really interested to chat to him um and uh we yeah we so we talk about all that i think it's a really really interesting chat um what you'll find immediately is that he's sort of very uh practical like i say down to earth sort of like no nonsense and has a really unromanticized uh view of writing and i think that's really good to hear because so often on this show i sort of ping pong between being this kind of sort of like crazy prophet on the mountain going you gotta do your thing you've gotta get out there and all this kind of nonsense kind of shaking my fist at the sky and trying to like g you up and um and being this kind of like curmudgeonly miserablest um and it's really nice to have someone on the show who just talks about it as a job and what he has to do and he schooled me a little bit i really like it i think you'll be really interested in it he he just points out some real bottom line stuff that's really great to hear and bear although you know me and him differ on some points of philosophy i think what's worth bearing in mind is he has had multiple bestsellers and continues to be an author who produces books who that people want to read and he's sustained a career off the back of it um i have not done that so uh, you might want to take that into account but it's just really lovely to chat to really really interesting and i want you as you listen to this not to, i don't want to steer you away from um drawing your own insights from this but i want you to listen to his relationship to the ideas when he describes various different ideas um for some of his books how they came to him where he was when that happened uh I just think he's got an anecdote about being in the airport and the Da Vinci Code that to me just was like, oh, this is the real deal. And I actually found it hugely inspiring. So I I want you to just stay, stay tuned for that. Keep your ear out for that, because I think there's a huge, huge lesson to be learned from this episode. If you learn nothing else and there's loads to learn, I think you want to go away and uh, read one of his books. Um, I'll put links to the show notes to uh, as many of them are available. But um, like, uh, for example, a great one for writers is actually 59 Seconds, Think a Little, Change a Lot, which is a kind of like self-help guide, but um, based on science and a bunch of things you can do that take less than a minute that can help change your life. So like these micro things that can improve your happiness, your creativity, your motivation, those are all those are three things that we need as writers right so that's you know that'd be a good place to start or his latest one um so anyway i'm not going to go on any any more but i just you know listening because i think there's some really important mindset stuff here that is so practical that when you hear it you'll just go oh god okay okay i'm on board with that i know it's going to change how i work um and just before i put you over to him to remind you i've got a book out in 10 days the ice house um is coming out on may the 2nd thursday may the 2nd 
if you would like to pre-order it there's links in the show notes if you pre-order it for mr b's emporium wonderful indie bookshop in bath then I'll, I'll sign those copies and there'll be some free bonus material in with those copies but you can get it from wordery you can get it from amazon if you want you can get it from your local bookshop you can just give them a ring and they'll pre-order it i would um love you to come on this journey with me book's taken me four years and it comes out in 10 days i am excited right here's my chat with best-selling author professor richard wiseman i get a couple of dozen emails a week and the most common feedback or response i get from people who are trying to write but also the most common stuff i get from best-selling authors and really successful authors with careers the are psychological problems rather than problems of craft problems of um you know what should my character do next how should i shape this plot arc structure and ideas people often feel that they've got down it's the writing at all it's the getting past fear and feeling creative when they don't feel very creative so as someone who i think has the the uh, distinction of owning most, if not all, of the books that you put out over the years, and who's enjoyed them all, as you'd hope, as I've continued to read and digest them cover to cover, um, that I wasn't hating them all the way through, that I was getting loads of uh, great, great stuff out of them. I wanted to speak to you, especially given the content of your your latest title. I just kind of wanted to... I just thought, why don't I chance it and ask if you'd be interested to talk about it? Because you've been someone who has been really interested in things like uh, creativity and people getting out of the way of themselves, all the way back to, you know, stuff about being more lucky and finding more opportunities in the world, all the way through to people being happier, more productive. And then you've got this, your latest book, Shoot for the Moon, where you're talking about achieving the impossible with the Apollo mindset. So we've had lots of, we've had some like neuroscientists on the show talking about the creative brain, had social psychologists talking about the effect of expressive writing and the different parts of the brain that were involved in that. So it just seemed to me, I couldn't think of anyone better to ask. Well, I, I guess let's start with you first and then I'll jump in to uh, some specific questions that you may have some thoughts on. First of all, I just would like to know how, because you do a lot of writing yourself, uh, you know, non-fiction-y, but I, I just wondered if you could give us a little, where does this start for you? Your, I don't want to call it an obsession because that sounds faintly pejorative, but certainly you feel like a man on a mission. Throughout all your books, you feel like somebody who is on a quest. And I'm, I'm wondering when that started for you. Uh, it started a long time ago. And I would think around about 1999, I would think 98 maybe. And I was doing, at that point, I carried out a whole lot of research into the paranormal. I'm quite skeptical about the paranormal. Um, but I carried out a lot of research and I put together a book proposal 
and thought this was going to be great. And my agent put it out to, um, I think, about 20 publishers in London, and no one wanted to touch it at all. Uh, paranormal stuff wasn't selling very well then. And I sort of went in for this meeting with him, which I thought would be my final meeting, actually, because <laughs> we hadn't uh, made a sale. <laughs> and in that meeting, he said, what else are you working on? And I made this chance kind of comment, which I said, I'm doing stuff on the psychology of luck. And and he said, well, can you make people luckier by getting them to think and, and behave in a certain way? And I said, oh, yeah, that's some of the stuff we're working on. And it never occurred to me that that would make a good book. I, I, I wasn't so involved in publishing then. And he went, I think that's a brilliant book. We worked out the proposal, I think, within about three or four days. And it went to a bidding war uh, all over the world and, and, and became the first sort of really big book. And so that, that was the, the initial one. And then from there, it's it's like everything. Once you've got a kind of reputation for, for doing things in a kind of okay way and, and delivering and so on, uh, publishers a little bit more open to your ideas. And so then since then, I think I've done, um, I think, 10 or 12 books. I think Apollo's number 12, something like that. And they're, they're all fun. They're all different. Um, primarily, I, I, I don't... I don't see them, any of them, as, as a great uh, piece of literature. I don't. See, I see them as a job to be done. I, in the same way as you know, my dad used to get up every morning and go to work as an engineer. I get up and I write. That is my job, and I don't give myself the luxury of not feeling like it some days because my dad wasn't allowed to say he didn't feel like being an engineer some days. So you know, it it is not a a calling or a vocation. It's something I enjoy doing. I never wanted to be a writer as a kid, um, but it is, is you know, it is your job. It, it is what you do for a living. So get on and do it. I feel I'm already. <laughs> feeling as mildly uh, rebuked and not unfairly. Um, so I I wanted to, because you've, you've dealt with in your work, and I have to say, like, I've, you know, I remember, you know, first encountering you when you were, like, pulled out as, like, the resident sceptic when you'd be on television talking about uh, why, why ghosts weren't real. And I, you know... And initially, I remember being faintly disappointed. I was like, oh, that is a bit of a slightly, the, the least fun of the two options. But then, of course, like having read your work now, I see like your genuine fascination with how the mind works and psychology and how the world works. And there's actually genuine wonder there. And I, I wondered if you could... If you could talk a little bit before we kind of jump into these questions where I sort of ruthlessly strip mine your years and years of hard work um, to make my life a bit easier. I wonder if you could talk a little about a bit about that, that your relationship to scepticism, because I think it feels like to me like where a lot of people maybe initially encountered you. Yeah, I mean, that, that was all the early stuff and did that a long, a long time. And um, it, it come, I have a background in magic. And if my passion lays anywhere, it is with magic. Um, and so and, and in fact, that informs the book writing, because uh, I, I, I think what's important is, is from a nonfiction point of view, you, you don't waste readers time. You know, I, I think readers time is the most valuable thing. I mean, they're giving you this this kind of gift of their time. You don't want to waste it. You want to fill it with, with joyous, informative uh, moments. Um, so, yeah, I did all the skeptics all the ghost stuff, investigating psychics and all of that. The, the, the slight issue with it is when it comes to selling that to the public, it's tough because, you know, lots of people want to believe there's something to it. And those that don't aren't particularly interested in, in why that is the case. So it, it proved to be quite a tough sell. 
I mean, many, many years ago, I did a, a talk, a sales conference. I think it was an award ceremony, actually. And there was like the top salesman of the year there. And I got some time with him afterwards. And I said, what's the secret to being top salesman? And he said, find a product that everybody wants to buy. <laughs> and I, I think that is absolutely key to what it is that we all do, that, that actually what we should be thinking about, if you want to sell books, if you want to sell anything, find something that people want to buy. It's, it's very it's much harder to hit a, a square pipe peg into a round hole. And, and so with um, paranormal stuff, it's kind of tricky to sell that. Um, with the self-help stuff, the luck factor or 59 seconds, or whatever those uh, things are, um, it's just a much easier sell. And, and so, you know, I do hear sort of writers kind of going, oh, nobody wants to read my stuff. And I think, well, perhaps number one is it isn't very good. Uh, or number two is you're not thinking about it from your uh, essentially you know your, your your reader's point of view um so if you want to be commercial I, i'm a commercial writer you know that it's that's what i do um then then you you have to think about those sorts of factors it it isn't about me as a writer it's about the reader experience i think that's really really i, I know that some people are not going to want to hear that but on but once you've broken through that like for, that moment of going, oh, I've got to think about my readers, then really it's just like, I think a lot of writers, and I'm guilty of this myself, are a bit like, it's a bit like going fishing and baiting your hook with what you quite fancy for lunch. You know, like rather than thinking about what fish eat and what they might be attracted to. Not talking about suggesting that readers are a completely different species to writers, but like so often writers are surrounded by other writers and we go after either what we want to read or what we think our immediate peers who are writers will be impressed by or want to read rather than thinking, what is someone going about their daily life who doesn't have any investment in me personally? What are they going to be interested in? Yeah, I think that it depends why you're writing. I mean, if you're writing because you just find it intrinsically rewarding, it matters not what other people think of it. It matters not how many other people are reading it. You're writing for your own benefit. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, if you are writing in order to impress a very small number of people uh, on essentially what you consider to be a work of art, well, great, go for it if that's your audience. But if as a writer you're going, no, I want to be commercially successful. I want to make a living doing this. I want lots of people to like, like it. Well, you've got to better think about it from their perspective. Um, and, and so what you can't be doing is saying, well, this is amazing. You know, the whole world is wrong. I, I can't I can't see why people aren't buying into my uh, amazing work. The truth is you're wrong and they're right. So, yeah, I, I, I would say it just depends about being very, very clear. Um, and, and then having that, that I mean, I, I don't know about fiction, actually. I've never written any fiction at all. So in the non-fiction world, which I know quite a lot about, uh, it's, it's also having that, that one-line pitch. So when we did 59 seconds, um, it was things that you could learn in less than a minute uh, in order to change your life. That's a great pitch. Who doesn't want to read that book? Originally called 60 Seconds, and, and then I went to some, I gave a talk at a school, and said, I'm doing this book called 60 Seconds, things, things you can learn less than a minute. And some kid in the front row said, well, it should be called 59 Seconds then. And I thought, well, <laughs> much better title i'll have that kid uh so um 
so, so it's that, you know, what what is that that kind of one line sell? Because you're going to be incredibly fierce marketplaces. And it's, and it's easy for us to forget that. You know, I, I would always say before you can do anything, I suspect it's true of fiction. You know, just go to your local big bookstore and just wander around and just realize what the fierce marketplace is uh, or, or online or whatever it is. You know, be realistic about that. See what else is out there and how you're going to stand out from that pack because it's a it's a pretty big pack, particularly at the moment with self-publishing. So, um, yeah, you know, it's these are... Um, yeah, there's opportunities there, but but I don't think you have the sort of right to go. I will write this thing, and and therefore they they build it and they will come. Um, I don't think it's that at all. So I I, I think for me, well, I mean, again, it's only me personally, but if if you haven't when you get in advance, uh, I think two thirds of it are for writing the book, and the final third is for getting out there marketing and selling the book, um, and and that's a big chunk of what you do as a writer. I, I, it feels to me like with all of your with your, with your books, that kind of idea of how you're going to sell it and how you're going to frame it to me almost it's like it's it's like you come up with for all I'm thinking the luck factor for fifty nine seconds for night school that you've often got a really really good it's almost like the story of the book there's almost like a narrative driving it I mean in some cases literally you know like the luck factor is, you know, partially you're telling the story of how you came to engage this and then telling the story of the people's lives um, that you study, the unlucky and the lucky people and what happened to them. All of that's very engaging. And I, I, but, but with 59 seconds, again, like there's a there's a story here. And that story is, you know what, we're told that change is something that you have always have to strive years for and it's this kind of like very incremental process and it's like well okay but some of those increments might be sub minute increments you there's a couple of things you can do now it's not always like that and it's like a counterintuitive would you say that's true that you're like you're in the business when you're pitching a good non-fiction book of having this very compelling it is like almost like a story or is that not quite it uh, it might it might be true. It's actually strange enough. It's it's true of Apollo because with the Apollo book we have the the story of the Apollo missions. I mean, basically how we got from 1962, um, where it's pretty much impossible to get onto the moon within eight years to getting on the moon, and and then along the way we drop out and and sort of see these self help lessons and how you can get that same mindset. And that was really tricky to do. I I looked actually just before this interview. There are ten versions of chapter one on my computer because I was Yikes. trying to find different ways. I mean, completed, fully finished versions. Because I was trying to find different ways of of telling this grand narrative, but also getting into the self help. And, and actually, it's a very, very tricky thing to do. With the other books, um, you, you have a, a kind of a pitch, a, a, a sort of a central notion, the elevator pitch, and then it spins out uh, from there. I give lots and lots of talks, and I think that really helps again because you have to imagine yourself standing there when you see the whites of their eyes and having to say something that, that, that's interesting and, and tells a story. And so that forces you more into a, a narrative structure. But I, I think fundamentally i mean when, when i write i don't like surprises so by the time i come to sit down and write i will have that book fully fleshed out i mean i don't think i've done a proposal that's been less than fifteen thousand words oh really um, wow so so they're long proposals just to get to that point of convincing a publisher and myself that this will really work over a 70 80 000 pound, uh, word um 
um, uh, uh, manuscript. And, and so, yeah, they're, they're long proposals. And for each one that works, I would think on my computer, there's at least five proposals uh, that have died to death, uh, that, that once you start to get into them, you realize they, they don't quite work. Um, so it, what's really easy to do is walk around with an idea in your head for years and convince yourself it's the best thing ever and never put it to the test by ever putting pen to paper. So, you know, after I've spoken to, to a few people about an idea, I always go and write that first side of, of A4 and then you sign and go, you know what, it doesn't really work uh, or actually it does or whatever. But it's easy to fool yourself in this business and, and uh, you know, it's all about what you can get onto that page and whether you can get other people excited by that. That is immensely practical. I'm so glad you've said that because... I'm already thinking about stuff that I've got kind of like in a holding pattern, like planes waiting to land in my head that it's yeah. yeah and they, I think like for all writers, there's that like feeling of nerves as you you're so desperate. You've got these beautiful butterflies flitting around in your brain and you don't want to bring the huge killing jar of your own artistic incompetence down over the top of them and watch all those beautiful ideas die. But some of them will survive and some of them won't. But you need to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and you'll learn. You'll learn something from that process where you might try and start to write something. You know, it doesn't work. Or there's a couple of paragraphs that do. And maybe that's the route you go down. Or maybe in 10 years' time, those couple of paragraphs will revisit you. And you think, oh, that little bit slots in there. So don't worry about it. But the important thing is not to kid yourself um, and, and sort of <laughs> kind of think, oh, I've got this, this kind of genius idea and I'll walk around in your head for 10 years and then finally find out it's a load of rubbish. Uh, so I, I think sort of getting that reality check very early on, I, I think, is, is really important. Um, and, you know, writing is hard work. It's it's what you do. I um, was now four o'clock. We're, we're chatting. You know, I've only just finished writing. Um, and so the book I'm working on at the moment started at nine, took an hour off and I've just finished and I'll be back onto it probably around about seven o'clock tonight. Uh, and that's what you do every single day for about four or five months. That's your job. And you get up and do it. And you never forget that it's a huge privilege because other people have got a lot harder jobs than that. And but that's what you do day in, day out. And uh, eventually this this lovely thing emerges and then you start to shape it and then you stick it out there and you see what people think. If they don't like it, you move on to the next one. But don't get your whole ego and whole sense of self bound up in this. It's only a book. There's been a lot more, uh, a lot of other books in the past. There'll be a lot more in the future. It's just a book and it might work and it might not. Give it a go. That's such fantastic tonic. I want to ask you, I'm going to dot around a couple of things, but for a lot of people, and this is, you know, a slightly, um, I don't, I actually don't think this is a dreadful segue, but um, for a lot of people, like uh, the idea of start, because they've not been through the process, the idea of starting a colossal thing like a book, the idea that they could write one at all, is 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 absolutely bananas. It's just unthinkable. And that is, you know, before we went to the moon, before that had been attempted, it it was it was literally the stuff of science fiction. It was such a huge thing, like uh. It you know like it like just trying to trying to eat an elephant in an entire gulp. It must have seemed like. I wonder if you could give us because you talk in the book about this idea of 
about where we where where it started and how far away we were from from doing it and 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 how how that massive gap was bridged i mean not literally we didn't take a bridge to the moon obviously but um i wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit because that is a great example perhaps the ur example of a colossal project that when people first had that dream must have seemed mad yeah and and, and if you give up before you start i mean there, there's a lovely kennedy quote which he says um if we try we might fail but if we don't try we're certainly going to fail and and i think that that's absolutely key to it so so you know if you think well, i've got this uh, am i going to say book you know whatever it's going to be eighty thousand words whatever it is hundred thousand words huge thing i'm going to give up now well obviously that book is never going to emerge uh i i would say two things first of all um do as they did with the Apollo missions, which is that the first part were called Mercury missions. You put one astronaut up in space, then um, uh, Gemini were two, Apollo were three. You, you take it step by step. So if you want to become a writer, you've got to write in the same way as if you want to become a potter, you've got to make pots. You, you've got to start somewhere. And nowadays you can just do writing on a blog. So I would say, you know, start a blog and every day set yourself a goal of whatever it is, 400 words, something, and just get the, the used to, to producing stuff and getting it out there in some kind of um, product. Uh, for me personally, the, the, the terror is always that blank page or blank screen in front of you. And so I always do what I did this morning, which is just start off writing any old rubbish just to get rid of that blankness of the page and just get used to something to sort of play with and, and see how it feels. If it's not working, you might take a, a short break and go and walk around the block and then come back to it. Um, if it's really not working, then I try and find another book related activity that's not about writing for me. It might be sort of doing some research to, to support what's coming the next day or, or whatever. But not to get discouraged. Remember, it's small steps. And you know, a friend of mine has this lovely quote, which I'm not saying where it comes from, actually. I don't think it's his. But you know, don't compare your chapter one to their chapter 10. In other words, when you see um, you know, someone like myself, for example, has got 10, 11, 12 books, don't think, well, I could never do that. Well, the fact is I started off with zero books and learned in the same way as every other writer learned by writing by sticking stuff out there and, and doing it. So don't be put off by the fact that there are some people out there that successful authors, you will be that one day, you know, if, if, if you work away at it. So I think it's, it's about small steps. It's about doing and not sitting there and not doing. Can you talk a little bit about, I, I wonder if you can, so this, I think that's really good, by the way. I just want to say, I love the idea of um, writing as, you know, like part of it is just turning up and that we're kind of training ourselves even through failure. We're training ourselves. And you, and you can guarantee, you're quite right, you can guarantee failing by not trying at all. Um, and that's, and that's something a lot of people do. And that's the tragedy of like some people I sort of speak to is that they will never suffer the pain of rejection because they have quite neatly protected themselves from that. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what led you to want to write about uh, the Apollo missions, because, you know, you've said, you know, you've talked about how you treat writing as a job, but then there must be there are initial sparks. And you it struck me when I was reading The Luck Factor, for example, that it it's quite lucky people as how you described them 
seem to have a similar mindset to writers who are ready to be inspired in that they're receptive to opportunities. And I was just wondering if you could talk about when you spotted that there was an opportunity to, to write about this subject and that there was something in this. It's a good question, actually. That one came from a party. So I was at a party. Wow. Yeah, I was at a party. It was a rare occurrence. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, uh, she's called Helen Keane, who's a um, comedian and sort of a space nerd. And we got talking about Apollo because of the 50th year of um, uh, moon landings. And I said, obviously, it's a huge amount about the technology. Has anyone ever written about the mental technology, the kind of psychology that got us to the moon? And she said, oh, I don't think so. And she said, you want to focus on mission control, which is this this the kind of heart of the whole operation. And I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, it might be something uh, to it. Who would I speak to? And she said, oh, you should speak to my friend, uh, Craig, uh, who's a welder in, in Wales. Um, but uh, he's also a huge Apollo nut. And he's got to know the mission controllers. So I, I gave him a ring and we spoke about it. And he said, oh, I can put you in touch with them and just have a chat. And at that point, you just kind of think, oh, I think that could work out quite well. It's an interesting idea. No one's done it before. It's an exciting story. Uh, what are the various kind of attributes? Would I read that book? Is it already out there? And then so probably within about a month or so, I'd written probably two or three sides, which felt quite good. And then that got expanded to whatever it was, about 15,000 words of a proposal. So I think there's various boxes to tick. You know, one is, does this feel exciting? Does it feel new? Do I think people will buy it? Is there enough there for a book? Will it make a good talk? Uh, all those things. And if you sort of see them being ticked, then you go, oh, maybe there is something um to this and I mean I, I look at probably two non-fiction proposals a week because I, I sort of look at them for various agents and publishers and often they, they fall down on one of those ticky boxy things um, and, and and that's when they, they bite the dust but if you get enough ticks there you kind of go well just give it a go see what happens. It sounds to me I've heard um, Neil Gaiman talked about his distinction about two kinds of writers being the uh, either gardeners or architects architects so gardeners sort of just ha plant some ideas and you know just cultivate and build them not really knowing what where they're going architects tend to start with a blueprint and then lay down some foundations and then start filling in the different i mean you can tell like my my knowledge of quantity surveying and architecture is not great for me to sustain this metaphor beyond not horticulture. I wouldn't have been able to do either, to be fair. But it, it seems to me like you, your method means that if something isn't working, you get to discover quite before you've gone, you've spent too much time in the process. Whereas the way I have worked up until now has certainly been, I get like, 120,000 words in and then I'm like oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure this story is very good this doesn't make sense because I'm kind of doing it is that is that would you say that's are you it seems like you've got like various ways to find out early if something doesn't quite feel right yeah I think that's right I mean again it might be different with non-fiction I, I don't know with fiction um but yeah certainly I, I I always 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 mention ideas to other people 
so and I kind of hey I've got this idea what do you think I've done this thing on Apollo do you think, think that would work and get feedback and, and if people don't want to know about what I'm talking about then I don't get particularly excited or I'll change the pitch or whatever but I don't like surprises when I'm writing I, I like to know where this book is going to go and I like to know that you know x thousand words will be spent on this and, and then that and, and so on because it gives you that sense of solidity I think uh, I, I, I don't know what it would be like to wake up in the morning and go I I don't know where I'm going to be by the end of today in terms of writing um, because, you know, I've got whatever it is. You know, this latest book I'm just doing is is three months uh, and that's it. You know, like if that book's not written in three months, that book's not going to be written. So and, and I think that's enormously helpful, terrifying as it is. It gives you know, everyone having a deadline. You know, if, if that isn't written in three months, then I close that folder and that book will not see the light of day. So, you know, you better get on and do it because uh, three months time, another project's coming in that I need to work on. So, yeah, I, I think those sorts of things I, I, I find very, very helpful. I was wondering if uh, if you could talk a little bit about maybe one or two of the lessons that you got from looking at these astronauts that maybe we can apply as writers because i mean like i love the quote that you've got in your book um if you're gonna go if you're gonna go to the moon sooner or later you've got to go to the moon it, it made me laugh so much because the number of authors i know who <laughs> like get their moleskin book get their selection of beautiful pens, can talk about the idea they're going to write about with such enthusiasm. And then it's like, oh, you've got a free day. You're going to spend it writing. And they'll be like, ah, can I can I do it next week? I think I'll be ready next week. I'm not ready now. Like, like the terror that... I, and you've talked about the blank page, the terror I've had when suddenly I actually clear the decks and I've got a chance to write this thing that I've been thinking about and dreaming about and yearning for for ages... And I'm like, oh, gosh, well, I guess I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is now. I was wondering if you could talk a, a little bit about some of the things that you that you're, you've got in your research that might be that people might be able to apply. Because it's quite a lonely business writing sometimes and the psychology ends up being very important. Yeah, so there's several points you're, you're raising there. First of all, it is a lonely business. Second, I think we have a very, very romanticised idea of what it is. Um, so again, we'll get back to my other uh, love and uh, of, of magic. And people think, my, it must be amazing to be a magician, stand on stage and do all these incredible things. And you talk to any professional magician, they go, yeah, that's why I spend 5% of my time doing. The rest of the time is finding clients, travelling to gigs, repairing props, uh, yeah. blah, 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 doing this. It's just a tiny part of it. Writing's identical. I think we have this romanticized notion that you sit there with, uh, you know, a coffee in some sort of French kind of cafe kind of sort of thing. And you think, no, no, it's not that at all. You get up, you go to work. And when you're finished at the end of the day, you look at what you've written and then you go to work the next day. That's what I was getting at. You know, that that should be your notion of what a writer is. And, and, and part of what you're saying with the moleskin books and the lovely pens, I think it's part of that romanticized image. You know, I'm just using a holding a big pen at the minute on the back of an envelope, literally uh, on mm. the desk. That That's that's what your tools are. And also, you know, potters make pots and, and painters paint build, uh, paint, paint, uh, paint, paint pictures or whatever. Writers write. If you don't write, you're not a writer. You're a wannabe writer. And there's a lot of them. 
So writers write. You can only call yourself a writer if you write. Otherwise, you're just messing around. So, so I think all those things are important. Why don't we do it? Why do some people not do it? And as you say, the fear is, is, is part of it. And so that quote, that lovely quote you gave at the beginning, which is from Glyn Lunny, who was getting so annoyed with the uh, Apollo project because yeah. he was basically saying, you know, when you, when you light a Saturn V rocket, uh, it is terrifying. He said, you've got three astronauts at the top of it. Uh, you've got the largest potentially uh, non-nuclear explosion in the history of humanity just about to happen. And he said, what you've got is fear all the way along that project. Everyone is so scared about pressing that green button because it could be catastrophic. And he said he saw review panels coming in and meetings and meetings and meetings. And he's the one that stood up and said, look, you know, if we want to go to the moon at some point, we have to go to the moon. Now, who <laughs> wants to go to the moon? And all the hands went up. And he said, then let's go to the moon. And, and it was this kind of turning point in, in the, the missions because they suddenly thought, yeah, actually, instead of making excuses, let's get on and do it and take some real risks um and and so i, I think it is important that, that people like you know do take those risks never to be reckless never to be reckless but to take risks and stop putting off this kind of i this this idealized dream and get on with the nuts and bolts of, of doing whatever it is you need to, to do so i think that's important i think the small steps you know doing something today uh, writing today a little bit and writing a little bit more tomorrow i think is is uh, is key to it and I, I also think, you know, you don't have to be a writer. If, if it's what you want to do to earn a living or it's because it's your passion or whatever it is, then great. But don't torture yourself. If it turns out that you can't write very well or you can't bring yourself to write very well, go and do something else. You know, it's all right. The world will survive without you and your book. So, um, yeah, just go and do something else that makes you happy. Um, I was wondering, I think that I think that's fantastic advice and it kind of like as in so much of your work it like combines the uh it, it, it combines some inspirational stuff with some like very very practical stuff and I, I would say you know for all this talk of you know and i agree with you wholeheartedly that writing's about turning up and you sit at your desk and you write and you write every day um that's true uh and that can but that can also be hugely satisfying and it can reap some really great rewards and it can be really fun and you get to talk talk and write about stuff you're passionate about so it's not it's not you know it's not drudge work and as you say it's got to be something that you got to remember that you're choosing to do it if you start imagining yourself as being under some kind of obligation well there are very few true obligations in life and certainly doing writing is not one of them uh, so remembering that it's, you know, it's coming from you and re retaining that sense of mission, I guess, uh, seems to be helpful. I, I think retaining the sense of, sense of privilege, because if, you, if you're not going to be doing this, what else are you going to be doing? You know, if you think writing a book is bad, uh, try being a post person or try doing other things or working in a shop and in Sainsbury's on the checkout and see how you feel about that. You know, it, it is an enormously privileged thing to do. You're, you're working for the most part in your own time. You're creating something. As you say, you're talking to interesting people and so on. Compare it to the alternatives and see how you feel about it. Uh, so always remember that, that um, you know, writers have a very, very privileged lifestyle. I was wondering if I could ask you just briefly to dr drill down a little bit into this thing that we touched on before about idea capturing because you mentioned like when you were you were at a party and that's how a, a, a chance conversation ended up giving you the idea 
for writing about um, the Apollo missions and how that could affect how people could learn from them. Um, and you've managed to, you know, produce ideas for, you know, a dozen books or however many it is now. And I know, like, in 59 Seconds, you have a, you devote a whole chapter to creativity and how people can come up with more ideas. Uh, you have, you know, you have the example of um, uh, George de Mestrel, who, who like, discuss, invented Velcro um, based on something that he, you know, on a chance thing. I wonder if you could just... I wonder if you've got any advice for how people can become more receptive to those ideas, but like increase their chances of inspiration. Interesting. I, I, I think you just sort of put yourself out there. You talk to lots of people about lots of things and you often just do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. That, that's that's one good way of doing it. I mean, if we, if we whip through those books, the luck factor came from the research I was doing. Um, Quirkology came because I was doing lots of quirky psychology and Freakonomics was was huge. And someone said to me, again, an airport, actually, uh, they said, oh, uh, Freakonomics, which was sort of weird economics. They said, oh, you do lots of um, quirky psychology. You should do a book like that. And I said, if I did, I'd call it Quirkology. And then I went to the bookstore and I bought... Um, uh, my goodness, that that absolutely huge book by Dan Brown, which the name um, God, it's absolutely massive. The um, oh, whatever Dan Brown's book was called at the time. What do you mean? Do you, are you talking about uh, Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci yeah. Code. Yeah, absolutely huge. Um, so I bought a copy of it, and the reason I bought the copy was they hadn't got any blank sort of books writing, and at the back of that book there's several blank pages, and I sat in the airport and I wrote down the contents to Quirkology on those blank pages. Nice. So, so the the copy I have, Da Vinci Code, has got all of my stuff written down at the back of it, and that became Quirkology. It was just written in an airport in San Francisco because this person said this sort of chance comment to me, and, then, and it suddenly kicked off so many ideas firing in my head of what I would do, uh, and that that's that's what I did. So that that was um, uh, quite fun. Uh, paranormality came from the research on um, on the paranormal. So I, I, you know, you sort of put yourself out there and and chat to people and with a very sort of receptive way. But I think it's about sort of flexible thinking. If if you're too rigid, if you just have the one idea, that's not good. I, I think, you know, just park any idea and just go. Okay, here's another ten of them, and let let's see uh, what seems to work. I do seem to have good ideas the moment I wake up. Um, that's always a good one and I sometimes have very good ideas the moment I hear a problem so the the moment you hear it you go bang this is the solution to that Uh, but otherwise I think the answer is have a lot of ideas and as I say for every one book that I've done there's probably another five sitting there uh, which didn't quite um, quite work out so yeah I I just sort of think be be open to conversations and 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 things Um, so for example 59 seconds the byline to that book, which I think is a great byline, if I do say so myself, uh, is think a little, change a lot. And we, and again, you sort of think, OK, that's really obvious. But we really, really struggle to find that byline. Think a little, change a lot. It's great. It comes from being at a gym. There was a car advert on and the strap line, the car advert was drive a little, change a lot, drive a little, live a lot. That's right. Change a little, uh, drive a little, live a lot. And I changed it to um, 
uh, think a little change a lot. So it came from seeing the advert and realizing that solved my problem. So it's, you know, you take these kind of chance events and stick them out there and just see what you can do, really. It seems to me like I just want to say I... I I know now that like like a big takeaway from this episode for me something that's going to resonate for ages is that you you had to grab a book and just write those things down because the number of people I know and and I've been guilty of this myself who have an idea and go oh that's a good idea um I'll probably remember that or oh I bet everyone has ideas and doesn't it seems to me you capture your ideas. You actually bother to write them down. Like that is the difference. And I bet I'm sure you write down some some dreadful ones that you read back and go, "Oh, d- no, that's not that doesn't make any sense now in the cold light of day." But the fact that you had the kind of wherewithal and the the fact that you picked up you got a book. It what you didn't because the number of times people say oh, I don't have my writing book with me. I don't have anything to write it down on. Um, you know, I'm in imperfect... You know, I can't write it down because there's no ambient noise. To do that in an airport, in the back of a paperback, just with what you had around you, you know, just going, well, I'll just get a rough idea and it will be as good as it can be. That is hugely inspirational to me, Richard, actually. That is really, really inspirational because it's about bothering, Right. Yeah, and also my dad had this nice phrase, which was he said, if, if um, say a carpenter turns up at your house to do some work and they open their bag and they've got all these lovely gleaming tools, he said, you should be terrified. That person's never done a carpentry <laughs> job in their life. <laughs> and he said, if someone turns up, they've got all these battered tools, he said, you know, they're an experienced carpenter. And and so it's a bit like that with the writing. I've just got, you know, big pen, bits of paper all over the place and envelopes and stuff. I scribble things on, stick them in my back pocket, forget about them. It makes me nervous when people come out there, their lovely fountain pen, their moleskin book, and, you know, it's all empty. And you think, you haven't done this, have you? You, you haven't made any cupboards. Uh, and, and so you're just living the dream of being a carpenter without making any cupboards. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just, I trust the person who kind of goes, yeah, yeah, I've done it all before and there's bits here and all over the place how I work I just think yeah that's that's the job that's the job we're not living a dream we've got a job to do let's get on and do it that's really yeah because like if you're if you're too scared to shove your I, I've I, I completely changed my life getting um, writing books and notebooks that I wasn't worried about shoving into the back of a bag you know break bending the spine having some pages tear make the cover falling off um, because those were the ones that I could car- I would carry with my me wherever I went those are the ones that I'd have and use whereas the beautiful ones you go god I'm not taking that I'm not shoving that in my suitcase it might get damaged and then you don't have it when the idea comes yeah or, or you think it's such a lovely thing it's I have to have this wonderful idea this uh, my, my ideas are not worthy of this moleskin book or whatever it is well you think they're just ideas you know I, I use the Tony Bazan mind mapping stuff a lot uh when I write down ideas if people can don't you know what ex- that is. can you explain that for people who don't uh know? yeah I mean it's probably easy to check it out on the web it's all over okay. the it's such a huge thing but basically you put a central idea in the middle and, and radiate out from it it's just a way of organizing uh, ideas I find that immensely helpful I never use lists I always use that particular way of organizing it but you know it could be on the back of a receipt or whatever it's it's just somewhere so that you can then kind of go oh yeah see that connects to there that connects to there and once you've got it 
start talking about it with people. So I've got this idea, what do you think? Uh, does that work? And if their little faces light up and they ask you more questions, you might have something. And if they look at you, you know, a little bit bored, then screw up that receipt, put it in the bin and uh, and wait for another one to come along. You know, we live on busy streets, you know, they're like buses, you know, there, there will be another idea. If, it, if it's not working, leave it alone and just wait for another one to come along. Don't panic. It'll be all right. That's that's fun. That's so that's awesome. I so I the, the sort of like I want to. I know you've you've talked a bit about um, taking small steps and you know noting down these ideas and being ready for them. Talking to other people, um, you've said is important. Like being open to conversations and being receptive in that way. Now, and lots of people. Um, you know, with the best will in the world, they're 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 scared. They're they they they're terrified of of making these mistakes or going out. Maybe they've had you know disappointments in the past. Um, maybe people in their past have not been very kind about them, and it's given them low self confidence. I wonder, you know, and there are some of us, uh, you know, that absolutely just need to kick up the bum, and then we kind of get on with it, and we go, okay, fair enough. I was just being a bit a bit lazy. But for those people who've maybe you know, their self-esteem or their self-confidence, they're a bit scared to get started. Have you got any tips or ideas for how people can get through fear, can maybe feel less afraid, can kind of move themselves into a place where maybe they feel a little bit more confident, even if it's just, even if they're just kind of faking it to kind of get themselves kind of off the launch pad, so to speak? Well, I guess the... Uh, the five minute rule is helpful, which is, is is that if you start to work on anything for five minutes, you massively increase your chances of finishing it. So ju- just starting something is is good. I would say it's that small steps thing. I, I would say, you know, write a couple of hundred words or a short story in a few uh, sort of thousand words or whatever it takes and put it out there on a blog and aim to do one a week, for example. And I think that act of putting stuff out there, you know, um, it helps you overcome that fear. Now, if you then get people go, well, I don't think very much of it, then, you know, maybe you're not very good and you should either go and do something else or you should listen to people and try and get better. Uh, if, if that's, if, if, you know, uh, but I, yeah, I don't think people are unnecessarily cruel for the most part. If they are, you can probably ignore them. But feedback is very important. So with the current book I'm writing, which is actually written with a co-author, you know, I, I've, in fact, this morning I've written a thousand words. That will go to a proofreader in about two hours time. They'll feed back to me by the end of today. It goes to my co-author to check. And tomorrow morning it goes out to two readers and they will feed back to me by midday tomorrow. And I'll rewrite the thousand by the end of play tomorrow. That means that all those people have seen that and they're all allowed to put up their hand and go, you know what? This doesn't work for me. It feels slow. It's sluggish. It doesn't work, whatever. And you've really probably completely open to that. But if you don't get those different perspectives early on, you don't learn. We, we learn by failing. Failing is a great, great thing because you kind of go, oh, I didn't get it right. OK, what can I do? Not I didn't get it right. I need never to do this again. You know, the one thing our brains are good at is learning. You know, we have plastic brains. They learn and they learn from getting things wrong. So embrace those people that say this doesn't quite work for me uh, because they, they are your friends in the long haul. And as I say, I, all of my stuff is going to go through four people and any one of them can veto it, in which case those thousand words go into the bin. Uh, so, you know, just get used to it. I think it's part of being a writer. That's so, yeah, I think I think it's... Uh... The lovely thing that I see, the kind of flip side to this, is when I see people get feedback, um, 
you know, uh, and they get criticism. And actually, they were really nervous about it. And the group kind of go, this bit doesn't work. And what and they expected that to feel like <laughs> like they were being stabbed through the heart with a spear. And actually what they experience sometimes is relief. They go, oh, I thought that that didn't that bit was a bit slow. Oh, I can delete that. Oh, gosh, it is better without that. Oh, my writing has just become better. Oh, and, and you see them go, oh, I'm why I've just been criticized and actually I'm feeling relief. Yeah, and, and that's, that's that's right. So constructive criticism and and and, and feeling that that you're learning something and you get something to work is is great. And obviously, you do get the opposite, which is that you know you keep trying it different ways and it just doesn't work. And I think that can be very demoralising. But but then you know it depends why you're doing it. I, I'm a terrible terrible singer. I suspect no amount of coaching will make me a good singer. Uh, unfortunately for the people around me, I enjoy it immensely. Uh, so <laughs> um, uh, I you know so if you're, if you're singing or writing for your own benefit. Then, then great, carry on doing it, even if you're a terrible writer or singer. Uh, if you're wanting to do it to please others, then, you know, you, you've, you've just got to learn the craft. And it, and it is a craft. It's a craft. It's like anything else. You know, I think everyone has the capacity to be a much better writer. But you do it through through doing and getting feedback, same way as you learn about anything, really. Well, uh, I look forward to the uh, day when uh, you finally manage to monetize your singing into a vi- viable second career, <laughs> Richard. But in the mean, in the meantime, um, if people want to um, check out your work, I will put um, links um, to uh, all of Richard's books that, um, in the uh, in the show notes to this episode and on, episode and on my um, website, timclapert.co.uk. But um, if people want to um, find you online. Uh, read more of your work um, where's the best place they can go to do that uh, richardwiseman.com uh, is pretty good if they want to see my YouTube stuff because I make YouTube videos as well most of the magic base then the Quirkology channel on YouTube is is good uh, so either of those places richardwiseman.com and Quirkology um, thank you ever so much for um, uh, devoting your time to um, chat to me today it's much appreciated and may I just say on a uh, personal level if it doesn't sound uh, too uh, horribly uh, horribly sycophantic um I've in, I've loved reading all of your books that I have and I you know I, I hope that you continue with your um with your relentless work ethic uh, because because I because I I benefit from each one and and I've had a great deal of um, value from uh, reading all of them that's lovely for you to say that thank you very much indeed Okay, uh, and everybody else, I hope you have a fantastic week of writing.